Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we are so excited to have one of our dear old friends, um, <laughs> Rhiannon Jordan. Hi, Rhi. How's it going? Hi. <laughs> um, Rhi, where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from Iola, Kansas. And uh, would you tell us a little bit about, you know, your life in Iola and and your childhood life, you know, just your family growing up and your family now? I grew up with my mom and dad and my sister, who's about four and a half years younger than me. We lived in Missouri originally. Then we moved to Wichita and Kansas City and then finally down to Pittsburgh around the time I was in middle school, which is where I met Melissa and Caleb. I stayed there through college and then I moved to Iola with my now husband Jeff who runs a fine arts center. I have an 18 year old son named River and two younger kids Piper who's nine and Winston who is almost eight. Oh wow. They're real close in age and I have to like think about when their birthdays are so I know (laughs) they're they're this age it's fine. Um, So that's that's kind of where we're at. I work in IT for Gates Rubber Company, which has global presence. We make um, industrial rubber hose and belts for manufacturing and all kinds of things, cars, offshore drilling, bikes. So that's what I do. Just hang out in Iola. (laughs) That's so cool. Um, Okay, last question before we really dive in. What is your history with the TV show Parenthood? Had you seen it before? I think I I think I know the answer to this, but you know, for for our many listeners, that's very yes. I actually (laughs) I did watch it when it was on the air pretty regularly, and then towards the end, I just felt like it got like sad. Yeah. All the time. I don't <laughs> want to give away spoilers for people who are maybe watching along as your your episodes air also. But I just felt like, you know, like I understand that there's serious parts to life and the families and everything. Yeah. But I felt like there was less funny times and it was just like everybody was having a bummer all the time. And I was like, OK, no, I just I need to watch TV for fun and not be sad about it. So we kind of <laughs> probably about halfway through the last season dropped off of it and just didn't quite finish it but I really I enjoy the show I like everybody on it and I really watching it um my episode again just recently I was like oh man no this was a really like good show and it was fun yeah we've both noticed as we are revisiting it that it was funnier than we remember and neither of us that wasn't our impression of the show you know five years down the road that it was funny And I wonder if that's something that did wane over time, like if it became more, because I think the reputation it has is that it's really emotional and it'll make you cry. It's like, yep, I remember that for sure. Yeah. So that will be interesting to see. Is it just our perception or did it it really get more serious? You know, it makes sense. Um, Not that I think this show is very similar really to Grey's Anatomy, but I eventually had to stop watching Grey's Anatomy because I felt like the level of trauma it brought to my life. I was like, why am I signing up for this? Every time Mark would walk through the room and I was watching an episode of Grey's Anatomy, I was just sobbing my eyes out. And it, like, I think you made a comment once that was like, why are you doing this to yourself? Or like, you don't have to watch this. And I think I just kind of broke up with it eventually. I'm like, that's true. I don't. And sometimes things at different parts of our life, you know, bring us joy. And sometimes it's just I don't know, too much. It's just too, too heavy. So I get that totally. Well, this is a pretty heavy episode. Yeah. 
We're discussing Parenthood Season 2, Episode 15, Just Go Home. It was written by Bridget Carpenter, directed by Lawrence Trilling. It originally aired on February 8th, 2011, and I couldn't find the NBC synopsis. So here's the Hulu synopsis. Nice. Sarah and Adam discuss the situation with Hattie. Meanwhile, Hattie, Amber, and Max run into Alex. Crosby and Jasmine start premarital counseling. Drew meets his father for breakfast. That's pretty to the point with every storyline. <laughs> I feel like I kind of like it. I like it too, but I feel like it's also just um, a synopsis of the first ten minutes of the episode. <laughs> you know, like I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought we would start with really the only lingering story that had yet to be resolved when this episode began, which is Hattie and Alex. Well, I guess I should tell you that I moved out of my house. You what? I mean, I moved to my grandparents' house. It sounds so stupid, but I didn't want to be around my parents. I couldn't be around them. You're so competitive. What? I mean, I had a rough childhood. You want a rough childhood. I came up what? homeless. You, you want to be homeless. You just so want a story to tell. You just want a story to what tell. I'm just saying, just be original. Jeez. <laughs> OK, so I guess you're not mad at me then for, like, coming here? I'm not going to be mad at you. Well. I'll let you go, Melissa, because you requested that clip. I was like, I don't know what. They're cute. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I did think it was cute. I also, watching it, I couldn't tell to what degree he was kidding or being serious. You know, Maybe he was kidding on the square. Maybe he was kidding on the square. (laughs) Yeah. But I wondered because I'm like, you know, it was a funny thing to say, but I wonder if part of him is like, okay, you know, some people actually have hard lives. There's there's really no reason to move out of your loving parents' home, you know, which is an interesting way to view it if that's how he views it because, you know, in her mind, she's doing it because this is unjust because she can't see him. And, and so I, I thought that added an interesting layer to things, you know, and the fact that he wouldn't date her anyway until she made things right with her parents. I'm like, this is so much more interesting. She's not like sneaking around and it's not like Camille is like, okay, Alex can come over here and you guys can date. You know, it was just everything was stuck as she later told her grandmother. I don't know. Did you two have any thoughts on? Although she was sneaking around in this scene. I guess that's true. I kind of didn't, I kind of didn't like it just on that level of like Alex made himself clear. Yeah. And you know, he was so upset when she was lying pretty much on his behalf. Yeah. And he's trying so hard to be honest in AA and just in general. And then he once again made his position quite clear to her and she just disregarded it and showed up anyway. That's true. Huh. And then she's like, you're not mad, are you? And I'm like, well, yeah, what do you expect him to say? Get out of here. I think you raise an interesting point too, though, and it makes me realize it might just be a sign of their difference in age Mm -hmm. that a 19-year-old would have just that little bit much more of maturity, and a 16-year-old totally would just happen upon the basketball court where he's playing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, she would do that. Yeah. Reed, do you have any thoughts on uh, their relationship or this particular storyline or, you know, if... Adam and Christina were right to initially keep them apart or just or her like, you know, handling it by leaving to go live with her grandparents for a while. Did you have any thoughts on them? Kind of looking from their perspective, like, yeah, I don't think forbidding children to do things in general is 
the most useful way to do. I feel like that's like, okay, so now what do I have to do to do what I want to do anyway? But that maturity level, like thinking back to relationships I had that were pretty big age differences, like it does, it does matter. Like you're just such different people, even though it's only three years, like it's just different life experiences. And it's just, I think it is a big, it is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works out and then, but it makes me a little nuts. Like as a parent to think about that, where I'm like, oh no, you probably shouldn't do those things that I did. <laughs> Even if they were like medium healthy relationships, <laughs> um, like you just, you're like, oh no, like it's just a weird, there's power involved even if it's kind of unconscious Hmm. and so I think for him to be mature and say like I have these boundaries and for her to not respect them is like Caleb said definitely a big sign of of that maturity level difference and that's I mean that's really nice that they played it that way where he wasn't just like oh yeah I can still go ahead and like take advantage of your willingness to be in this relationship despite people who are older saying maybe it's not a good idea me also trying you know yeah I really respect that. You know, something you mentioned about power, it's occurred to me before, but I've never brought it up. He's also her boss. That is true. I mean, this is, it's not quite Sarah and Gordon level because Hattie's not getting paid and they are both teenagers. I think it's quite different in a lot of ways, but he is still her superior but I don't think this is her career. Right. So, But, you know, you just said they are both teenagers. Sarah and Gordon were the same age, I think, um, you know, but there was still a power imbalance. But I think for me, the main difference is I love Alex and I hated Gordon. <laughs> Gordon was William <laughs> Baldwin. 100% yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I'm like, maybe that's not fair. Maybe that's keeping me from looking at it you know, as, as with an unbiased view, but of course, nothing we ever look at is unbiased, of course. So how far into his recovery is he? I'd say at this point, probably like six months, because it was five months. And I'm going to guess like a month has passed. So really, that's not very long either. Oh, and that's like one of the things they tell you is like, watch your relationships and you're like what you're getting involved in. And so that's also like on his own, like health that he's trying to watch out for. And that is a difficult thing to understand when you're not the person in recovery or fighting those battles. You're like, no, it's fine. I'll help you through it. Like I'm good and strong and I can fix you and we'll be good together. And like, it doesn't work. It gets messy because that person's still working through their stuff. So yeah, you're absolutely right on that. And you know, us just examining their age difference you're right that they're at an age where three years is a big deal, but especially given just life experience. I I mean, even though Hattie is very, I think, wise and responsible for her age, she's got to be naive in ways that he isn't just because he's, he's had hardships she hasn't had. And so that, that's got to make me think too, like as much as I love them together, I wonder how, how well they really could work. I mean, how could he maybe not feel like she's a child sometimes, even though he's not condescending to her and and everything. But I don't know. That's something I hadn't really thought about before. Well, Hattie has made her stand, but somehow in this episode, Camille finally gets through to her. You've been here over a week now. Have you talked to your parents? No. Have you talked to Alex? Once. How'd that go? Uh, 
He's not gonna date me or see me until my parents say that it's okay. Right. That's Alex. But it doesn't matter because they're not gonna change their minds and I don't feel any differently and we're just well, stuck. You wanna know what I think? It's okay if you don't. I think you should go home. I just, I don't think that that's gonna fix anything. Well, that's not why you go home. You go because they love you. You know, you just go back. I mean, everything doesn't have to be solved. It doesn't work that way, you know, it's, it's not math. Just go home. Ugh, this is one of my favorite Camille scenes yet. And I I love her advice. And I've remembered this advice ever since I first saw it. I wish I could say I've really implemented it in my own life. <laughs> I'm not sure I've been great at that. But I'm a very practical person most of the time. And I don't say that necessarily as a compliment to myself. <laughs> sometimes I think I am practical to a fault, sort of like Hattie in this scene. Cause I think she's right. Given all the information she has going home, won't fix her problem. And I could totally see myself having the same attitude. Well, unless it solves everything, it's not worth doing it. And just Camille saying it doesn't have to fix everything. That is wise. <laughs> just do what you can. And then I was editing our episode 209 with my uncle Lyle recently. And he was talking about when you have a disagreement, how important it is to tell the other person that you care about them. Like here's, I'm doing this because I care about you. And it made me think of this episode that I was watching. Hattie and her parents have both hurt each other. They've mm. hurt each other's feelings. Her moving out feels like a real slap in the face. And by going home, like Camille says, you go home because they love you. It's a gesture to say, I know I hurt you and I'm sorry I hurt you. I acknowledge that and I would like your forgiveness. And then it just, it, it drops the defenses and I think it makes it so much easier for them to realize, yeah, we hurt our daughter by taking this stand and we need to show her that we care about her. And we haven't been doing that. We've been operating from this like blind fear. <laughs> anyway, I just love the scene. I'm yammering on, but oh, that was beautiful discussion. Uh, my favorite line in that scene, and I wonder if it was Reese because I feel like she had a little reaction to my favorite line, which was um, when she says, "Do you want to know what I think?" And then she says, "It's okay if you don't." I loved that because Camille seems so respectful of Hattie in a way that her parents don't. And I don't mean that her parents don't respect her, but like Caleb said, they've been operating from just a panic place and they haven't been treating their daughter like she's, you know, maybe not an adult, but they've been treating her like she's a child, like she's six years old. And um, Camille doesn't. Camille treats her like a young woman and like offers her the chance to not hear what she has to say. Doesn't assume that because she's the official adult that she's, you know, wiser or that what she has to say is going to be well-received. And I thought that was so respectful. I loved it. Yeah. Camille's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> Hattie's so mature 
and she does the right thing and she works so hard. And I'm sure a lot of that is because of her brother, you know, just like, I need to do the right thing and I need to, to work hard and be successful and follow the rules. And so then when she doesn't want to follow the rules and that, you know, she's like, no, I'm still smart and good and like do the right thing. Why can't I just go ahead and do this? Yeah. And it's okay, but you don't know, like you don't see the whole picture and then her parents aren't seeing the whole picture too. But I feel like, like Camille's right. She does need to go home because, okay, so if Alex isn't going to see her and her parents aren't going to, like nobody is going to get anywhere by just shutting down and not, like she's not going to work anything out with her parents and then Alex isn't going to come around. So yeah, leaving didn't fix anything. And I definitely understand the need for space sometimes to just be like, okay, we need to stop and like, just get out of each other's spaces and think about what's going on. But, but yeah, then there comes a point where you have to come back together and remember why or how that you're a family and, and start talking about things and get it worked out. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. It also made me think of the wisdom of a song from Frozen 2. <laughs> the next right thing, do the next right thing. Because I thought, thinking along the lines of, you know, like it, it won't fix everything. I thought, but this is a good example of fix anything you can fix. And if you're Hattie, what's wrong? Alex won't talk to me and I'm not living with my parents. Okay, you can't fix Alex not talking to you. Not really. You can live with your parents. Yeah. So try that. And then reassess and see, okay, once I'm living with my parents, then what's the next right thing? Then what can I tackle? And as it turns out, it just it does fix everything. <laughs> I will say, though, I think it was right of her to move out initially. And then I think it was also right for her to go home. I like what Reese said about how sometimes you do need space. I think even though Adam called it a stunt last week, uh, and even though we even kind of agree... I think she kind of needed a stunt, like in a way, because while I don't always think something drastic is the way to go, they were not listening to her and nothing she tried worked. And it's only powerful to move back home if you've moved out, <laughs> honestly, you know, and and so I think it made maybe them realize they'd been taking her a bit for granted, you know, that. She just had to do everything they said, no matter what. And, and maybe even, you know, even some parents maybe think that's how it goes. It won't be that way for much longer, even if it is that way right now. You know, she is getting older. She'll be 18 soon. She'll be going to college, moving out, and they won't really have a say in what she does. And so I think this was like a little lesson to them, too, that she's growing up. They have to let her to some extent. Yeah. 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 Well, the end of this story, I would file under duh. We would like to talk about what's going on and where we go from here. Okay. Okay. Um, when you go out with Alex, we need to know where you are at all times. There's no sneaking around. There's no mystery dating. And you're only allowed to go out with him twice a week. Okay. Twice. Fine. All right. And your schoolwork has to come first, as always. Yeah, it does. And when you do go out, we want to have a curfew. Mm -hmm. It's going to be non-negotiable. Wouldn't want to negotiate. And we are not comfortable with you going to his apartment. Not at all. At all. Okay? You're not allowed to go there. You can go to a movie or dinner. You can spend time yeah, here. I understand. Those are your options. Yeah. Agreed? Mm-hmm. You get it? Yeah. Because we love you and we want to trust you. We do trust you. We do. Okay. Okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. There.
If they just done that episode, I know it does seem a little like, oh my god, the answer was right in front of you the whole time. But maybe they had to go through all that in a way. Like, I well, I don't want to say that because I have a point that I'll bring up later before we move on. But maybe they had to go to these worst case scenarios and be really angry at each other to remember what was important. I guess you know to remember that they do trust Hattie actually, and that she is a really good kid or young adult or whatever we should call her. And you know, but maybe they lost sight of that. They they couldn't get there without going to that extreme place first. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I go back and forth sometimes when characters behave in ways that I think are irrational Mm -hmm. (laughs) between thinking that's unrealistic because their behavior is irrational and then remembering, well, people behave irrationally all the time. (laughs) Like that's part of what life is, is dealing with other people when they act crazy and then managing the consequences of when you yourself act crazy. (laughs) So I, yeah, Adam and Christina should have done this right from the get go, but they didn't. And is it believable that parents might not? Yeah. (laughs) And especially these parents who we've seen drastically overreact with Hattie's relationships in the past too, or, or just Christina was catastrophizing. Like we said last week around the, the driver's ed thing. It's like, oh, yeah, she does this. She just imagines the worst case and spins out of control. Yeah. So maybe it isn't unbelievable. I don't think it's unbelievable. It's frustrating, but. Very. As a parent who's who's kind of gone through the teenage years now, it's hard sometimes to remember that you have a good kid and a trustworthy kid. And even having been a fairly trustworthy, responsible teenager myself, I still remember, hmm, Sometimes I made some real dumb choices. <laughs> and so trying to weigh like your experience and what you want to protect your kids from and how they just, they just don't know. You don't know. Like you think you're doing the right, you're dumb. You're, they're not <laughs> dumb, but they're just, you know, they don't have to look at it from the outside colored with what you went through, which is not the same thing that they're doing necessarily. Yeah. And it's really easy to have these knee jerk reactions where you're like, nope, just shut it down just shut it down. We're not doing this. I'm not going to give you the chance to get hurt or lost along the way or, and I don't know, I don't know this other kid. (laughs) Sure. They seem okay, but it's not great. And you just have to, each time that kind of thing comes up, work through it and be like, okay, wait, can we, did we eventually have a rational conversation and kind of come to a compromise on your experience versus my experience versus just trying to keep you safe and get you through school or get you launched into life. Like you don't know that sometimes people that you're in relationships with can be disingenuous or not have your best interest in heart when you think they do because you have good feelings about them. And I like, I guess I kind of temper that against now with my kids being on the internet more um, and having friends, not my little kids so much, but River has friends that he's met, that he talks to online. And I'm just like, you don't know. You don't know if that's a real person, if that's who they say they are or like. Yeah, that's And true. so it's it's scary sometimes to be like, mm, I don't know. Don't, don't be friends with people you don't see. <laughs> and then you'd be like, it's a pandemic. I can't see anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh, it's, man. it's so, yeah. it's weird to try to to balance that sometimes. I think it's really valuable to have you on for many reasons, but but one of them is, you know, not only are you a parent, but yeah, you are the parent of 
of a kid who's close to the age of, of Hattie, you know? Um, and so you've, you've had to make decisions like that. And that's definitely something, you know, we haven't experienced Caleb and I on yeah. having teacher friends was really handy. Like when he would start to hang out with people from like theater or like from school and I'd be like, Hey, what do you know about these kids? Are they fine? Like, should I let my kid go be around them? And they'd be like, yeah, no, these kids are good. And a little scared of their parents too. So it's like, Like they're probably doing the right thing because they have consequences for their actions. And so good. I need to vet my kids. (laughs) You know, that is such an interesting thing, both in your situation, but also on parenthood with, with Alex is that Camille knows Alex because they work together at the, um, the food bank. And sometimes I was a little surprised that Adam and Christina didn't give that more weight than I felt like it kind of deserved. They were acting like he was this totally random kid when Adam's mom had known him since he was nine. You know, I'm like, that's gotta, that's gotta. Yeah, I feel like that would have given me a lot of like, okay, no, I see. Yeah. But uh, that's a, that's a good point too. Like <laughs> vet, vet who you can. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, the bright side of this, both with you, Ree, and then with Adam and Christina, it's nice to have parents who want to vet who their kids are hanging out with because the opposite is true for a lot of kids that their parents don't know who they're hanging out with and don't care. Not really. And better to care, I suppose. And that's maybe what Alex was referring to in previous episodes when he said, you know, I wonder how I would have turned out if I had parents like you. That is a big difference. And I don't think he had that. I don't think anyone cared. Is he around kids who are a good influence or a bad influence? Should I intervene? No one intervened. And when you're a child, you don't know. You're learning all that stuff. So, but it can go too far too, as as was the case with these people. (laughs) You know, I have one more comment before we move on from the storyline. I do want to say that the ending scene where they all go play basketball together, I am sure that in previous viewings, I just found that precious and like cried and was just so touched. And somehow something about it hit me weird this time. Like Alex was almost being expected to be too gracious. Like, oh, everything's fine now. You didn't have a problem with me personally. Let's just move on everything. I, I don't know. I, I just kind of felt like should should his feelings be hurt forever? <laughs> you know, in a way like like should he be this willing to just play basketball with them and and, you know, fist bump Christina, who looks awkward fist bumping and just like, let's laugh about it. No big deal. Do you know what I like? I feel like yeah. in a way it was very insulting what they did. And I get why they did it. And, and I know I'm probably simplifying it, but I just feel like maybe it was too easy for Adam and Christina. Maybe they should eat a little crow for a while. You know, yes, it's nice that their daughter moved home and and Alex is right that they are caring parents, but they still really overreacted and treated him almost like a criminal or something when he's a really good person. So I don't know, that just didn't really quite sit with me that, oh, the happy music plays and they're all just playing basketball. It's over. Yeah, I think both Hattie and Alex could have definitely been hurt for longer and needed better behavior from their from her parents or some more like, okay, let's have dinner and really sit down and talk to each other or really like have some conversations that are hard and kind of explain our point of view a little better and let you say your piece to us also. I think that's important is being able to be heard in the end. Um, Even if people are like, yeah, no, we were wrong, it's cool. Okay, cool, but I need you to understand (laughs) why what you did sucked for me. Yeah, I agree, yeah, completely. 
I bumped on that scene too, but I don't think I dug quite as deep as you did. I just put Alex's second date with Hattie is playing basketball <laughs> with her entire family. And I put, dear God, marry him. Yeah. That's and I true. said, like, I think it's actually wonderful. And it's a nice way to let her see him and then like ease Adam Christina's concerns. That's true, too. I can but see it. But it's like, oh, way. I have a hard time believing Alex would be like, great, your parents are here and your little brother. Um, although, but even as you say that, the flip side of like, oh, what a great way for Hattie to see him. It does also feel like a visitation. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, we're here to monitor you because you're suspect. And Yes, of course, like literally that is kind of the case when they're saying here are the ground rules. Mm. Well, there's ground rules because he's suspect to them still. But yeah, it it wouldn't make him feel good. I, I wouldn't imagine. No. And, you know, I bet they mean that as a olive branch. You know, they're like, yeah, this is us apologizing. We're all showing up. But I and just, I do think that's fair with yeah. a 16 year old, you yeah. know, to say, hey, we need some boundaries for yeah. once. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, true. But yeah, it does also, just with everything that's gone on, there are some tricky dynamics and they would have emotional consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's go on to the newest development in this episode. We finally meet Seth. Yeah. It's the first episode with John Corbett as Seth Holt. John Corbett is an actual musician. He's released two albums of country music. The band in this episode is his band. Oh, I didn't know that. That's really cool. I learned that in the commentary, which is on this DVD episode. And John Corbett is yet another actor who has previously been in a show with more than 100 episodes. Can either of you name it? Was it Northern Exposure? It was. Ah! I never saw it, so I wouldn't have known unless I looked it up. I never watched that. I loved him on Sex and the City, but I was pretty sure he didn't do 100 episodes of Sex and the City, even if there were 100 episodes of that show, which I don't think there were. Well, what did you guys think of John Corbett just as a presence or Seth as a character? I thought his styling was like a little too <laughs> on the nose of like, oh, yeah, I'm like a recovering wild man. Like it was I'm like, seriously, like every minute of the day, this is what you look like. I get it on stage. Like you have a a look and a persona, but like, for goodness sake, just wear a t-shirt and like comb your hair regular. That's what is so this? funny. That didn't even occur to me. But now that you say that, I can't stop thinking about it. Well, I guess what got me was when Amber was like, mm, that nice leather suit, you know, and then I thought back, and, yeah, gross. This is not how people are. This is not. I, I have to say, I... I loved him. Like, I, I thought the scene that he and Lauren Graham had was, like, electric. And it didn't hurt that they were playing that Ryan Bingham song in the, in the background at the hotel. And I was like, this is just emotionally charged in a way that I was like, how is this the first time he's on the show? I totally believe that they were married and had a whole history and raised these kids and then had a horrible falling out. Like, I don't know. I just thought, man, he really fits here. In a way that, you know, part of the reason I was frustrated with her early, earlier storylines in the season was I just never really bought her with Gordon. Um, forklift Mike wasn't around long enough to get, you know, super invested. But this, I, I don't know. I was just like, yes, this is much more substantial, too, because it's not just, oh, single mom going out, you know, on a date. It's here she is trying to figure out what's appropriate with, you know, her ex and the kids and how to navigate that. And I thought this was deeply interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. And I agree. It, it felt like they just dropped the needle 
right in the middle of this ongoing relationship. And even though we hadn't seen it, it already had resonance that none of her previous relationships have had. Maybe Mark, but that's a very different kind of resonance. That's yeah. like a, a new love kind of thing. But yeah, this did feel very lived in. Like there was a long history. And the credit for that probably should at least partially go to the little hints of Seth they've been dropping in off camera, like the Thanksgiving episode and Amber writing her and singing her song and talking about Seth. And we had heard a lot about him or at least some information about him before we'd really seen him. I mean, since the pilot when he was played by a different actor. I was like, of course they recast. No offense to that actor, but I'm like, you get John Corbett. You, you, that's what you do. So I don't know. I, I really liked it. And I also loved that Amber had such reservations. I, I did love that. And I love- That's a good setup for- oh, good. <laughs> I'm going to play a little bit of that scene. Okay. I'm sorry, but you can't go. What and- do you- if I mean, you, you, if have you no don't tell her, then I'm going to tell her. No. Yes. Why would you tell her? I because, never used to rat you out. Because it's dangerous. And I'm no, not going to sit not. here and blow smoke He's up your my, ass. This is a father. serious situation. And you need to think about it Hey, more. hey, hey. What is going on? Nothing. Don't tell me nothing. You guys are screaming at each other. Yeah, what is going are. on? Do you have something that you need to say? Amber. You know what? Fine. Yeah, Mom. Dad's in town, okay? And I saw him, and I want to see him again. What do you mean you saw him? I saw him. You saw him and you didn't tell me? No, I didn't tell you. Why not? Why didn't he call me? Why are you so opposed to me Listen having to a relationship me. with this him? This kind of sneaking around is very Why familiar to me. Why does he have to, to call very you? very familiar to he's me. He's an adult. He, has he doesn't to have to call, call me you. because I have to see what condition he's in before I allow matter? him to see you. Do you, not you don't understand. Me? You don't remember, okay? Do you want to go back, back to the three of us living point. in a motel? I don't. No, You won't see him again until I talk to him. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I am going to talk to him before you see him again. That's it. God, Seth is in town. Damn. Okay, before we talk about the really serious things to talk about, just judging from Melissa's face while we were listening to that scene, I know that she's going to bring up this slight reference to <laughs> Mr. Belding. Hey, 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 what is going on here? It's all I could think about when, when she goes in. She's like, she says those exact words. <laughs> and I didn't realize that that was like a thing. <laughs> until you mentioned it and then I looked it up and realized it was like an actual catchphrase. There's yeah. a super cut on YouTube <laughs> of I it must be every scene he's ever said it in because it's almost four minutes long. <laughs> and the phrase only lasts about a second and a half. Right. <laughs> That's a lot of him saying. I think it's in every episode. It's like <laughs> so anyway. But yes, yeah, in all seriousness, what what were your thoughts on everyone's reaction, I guess, to Seth being back in town? I also have a lot of insight into this one. Um, being a parent, like being a co-parent with someone who has addiction issues and who caused a lot of problems and was pretty unreliable, it was really tough sometimes, um, especially because River would go to El Dorado, which was several hours away or Wichita, and, and he was usually with his grandparents and his dad, but not always. And there were some real sketchy situations that happened, um, especially as he got a little bit older with his dad. And it was really hard to, to weigh like his loyalty and his wanting to spend time with his dad and wanting him to be safe with his dad and also just being really mad and resentful of what I kind of got left with and that I had to 
to be the adult and decide, like, are you going to be okay? Is somebody else going to be around for you to take care of your kid? And that was really hard. It took a long time to kind of be like, okay, to, to also not be resentful of River wanting to spend time with his dad or to have conflict with Jeff, I think, based on his loyalty to his dad. I'm like, no, your dad is a mess. Why are you, why do you like him? Stop liking him. He's not great, but that's your dad. And like, yeah, just try to have to worry if your kid's going to be safe when you're sending them to a place that they, like, yeah, why wouldn't you be safe with your other parents? But it's not always the case. Oh. That was, that was kind of a tough, a tough scene. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, no. Yeah. I think it would be so hard, especially when, like we were just talking about people behave irrationally sometimes in real life, that your concerns are so rational. Like it seems like, oh, it's it's his dad. He should go spend time with him. But there are very legitimate concerns. Like you're not being crazy to ask those questions. And the margin for error is like zero. Oh, he can just get hurt a little bit. No, you, <laughs> you can't let that happen. Yeah, I, I think it would be terrifying. One another thing I thought was so brilliant about casting John Corbett is he's so likable, which I think is often the case with addicts. They're very charming and, you know, sometimes you're disarmed. And I I liked how she had to sort of gear herself up before going into that hotel room to confront him, you know, and and when, you know, he offers her something to drink and she's like, not vodka. And he's like, "Woo!" right out the gate. And he looks so hurt. And I'm like, boy, that is well played because. Yeah, and she goes, yeah, I'm asking, did that hurt your feelings? <laughs> yes, <Sorry>. which <laughs> which I'm glad she said that because it kind of shook me into having the right priorities there because I'm like, oh, I like John Corbett. I'm carrying over all this, you know, all these feelings about him and he's being so charming. And then I'm like, oh, got it. She has to plow past that bullshit. <laughs> And, and she has to, like, make him answer her and, and be accountable. And I thought, yeah, that's that's really good casting. Because before we ever met him, when we just had, like, this shadowy idea of who he was, you can really paint this picture. They used words like drug addict. They used words like, you know, alcoholic. And uh, other people have called him, like, a loser. And... You know, Caleb's brought this up before that in that, you know, Jagged Little Pill musical <laughs> that we went to see and and they were like, well, what does an addict look like, you know, and stuff. And it's it's true. Like in, in my head, I think before they ever cast him, I was picturing something else. And I'm like, no, the reality is these people aren't just losers. They have good qualities, too. She married him. She was with him for a long time. And that's part of what makes it so difficult. You can't just dismiss them entirely. That they're, and, and that almost makes it harder than if you could, you know, just say, nope, this person is too unreliable. You're never allowed to see him. That would be a really extreme situation. And I think in most cases, you want to try to have your kids have some sort of relationship. But boy, in a case like this, it would be so hard. Yeah. I, I did like how she came back around. And again, she set the boundaries for what he could do, like, what he could go and do with his dad or how long he could be with him, um, which is important, but it is a real struggle to go between like, okay, I understand that you need a relationship with your other parents, but I also kind of hate their guts and don't trust them. But I also don't totally hate their guts because of our history. And so like, to some extent, you're also trying to protect yourself from getting back into patterns or from getting manipulated or what you know yeah like oh no like their good qualities are going to come back out and i'm going to fall under their spell and then they're going to screw up again 
and every like everything that I've worked for to keep myself safe and and healthy. It, it's hard. It's a real struggle to like, I don't know. I don't think most people do it very well without a lot of times of messing up. You know, yeah. what's so interesting about what you just said is that really, I think, applies to Sarah in this episode, but also Amber. You see Amber really not wanting to fall under his spell, too, and, and being extra cautious. I, I, I think it's fascinating how it works for, like, both of them, not just his yeah. ex-wife. And But also missing him, it, it seems like, maybe, or at the very least, recognizing how important it is to her brother and wanting, you know, not wanting to crush that in him, even though she's very protective of him too. I don't know. In that first scene that we just listened to, I was maybe mostly struck with Sarah's reaction. The instant Seth's presence was made known to her, I don't feel like we've seen these qualities in her. You know, like we've talked a lot about how she's so respectful of her children and sees them for who they are and doesn't try to impose stuff on them. You know, she's not a laid down the law, kind of parent. Not usually. But this sends her straight there. And I just took that as an indication of the effect that Seth has on her, her protectiveness of her children, if she thinks they're in actual danger, and just how much of a risk she associates with her ex-husband. That this is, clearly this is serious to her. You know, she finds humor in lots of situations. And there was not a drop of humor in this until maybe the last line. Seth is in town. But that to me, it still didn't strike me as funny. It was like just a commentary on what I just articulated, which is, oh my God, you mentioned Seth is in town. And within 30 seconds, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs at my kids because I'm scared for them. Wow. Well, and how mad she got that he didn't call her. Yeah. Like, why are you so unreliable? You are in town. Why wouldn't you call me to get our kids to like to find out how the kids are doing or to be like hey in case you run into me like I'm not a surprise or like I feel like that was a large part of her reaction too it's just like so nope you can do whatever you want anytime that's so great so great for you please do please just <laughs> right. enjoy your life go wherever you want would you like to come to my house and just show up or whatever who cares well that felt like the a big crux of this scene with Zeke that I love I mean, I think I had a hand in the whole Seth Why? Drew thing because, well, at Thanksgiving, I, I called Seth, asked him to talk to Drew. No, because Dad, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Drew is lonely. He misses his father, and he should call him. His father should call him. His father should know how they're doing in school. His father should know what they like to eat. His father should know, but he doesn't, you know? And I don't know if it's he's sick or what's going on. He's in town. He didn't even call me. He didn't want he didn't even call me. So what? Uh, he didn't call you. What? You want to hear from this guy? <laughs> For the kids, Dad. Oh, oh, For the crap. kids. Uh, you know something, Sarah? You know what? You got feelings for this oh, guy. My God. So you do? I'm trying to make the right decision and take care of the kids. I don't have feelings don't for let him. Let me tell you, Sarah. I love you. I mean, you're beautiful, you're gifted, but you got this thing with you need a relationship. Always need something to fill whatever's going on inside of you that's not good enough. I mean, this guy is a son of a bitch. Yeah, Dad. All right? He was the love of my life, okay? But he's sick now, and I know that now. Loving your life. I know that now. Just listen to what I said, Sarah. Fascinating. Yeah. How far out did this happen from when 
when they left him or he left or? You know, I don't know if we know that because when Amber was talking about you were so young, Drew, you couldn't remember. I was like, so did he leave like 15 years ago? I mean, have they been divorced this whole time? And then I'm kind of like, why is Sarah just moving in with her parents within the last year? You know, like it, I think in my head, they'd only been divorced a short while. So I'm really not sure. Caleb, do you know the answer to that? I don't. I had a different perception. I didn't think it was super recent, but I also wouldn't have said it was like pre-Drew having memories. Yeah. I would have guessed like, oh, they were like between five and 10, the kids, and everything just fell apart. And also I... I'm not even sure if I knew there was a point at which one of them left the other because I feel like they did often make reference to the fact that Seth just wasn't around a lot. Mm. Either because he was on tour or, as Sarah alluded to, she would say he was on tour, but in fact, she just didn't know where he was. Oh, and so then maybe things just slowly fell apart, like financially also, because weren't they living in a motel and stuff? And so... Yeah, yeah. At some point... Right when they left Fresno, they weren't, I don't think, but. I was remembering that episode where Amber was uh, babysitting Sydney and she taught her to make the little paper turtles or whatever. And they used to make that in the hotel when they were staying in the hotel. So I was like, maybe they were youngish when they lived in the hotel. But yeah, I feel like we've only gotten little hints at that and we're not given like a really explicit timeline, which is. Fine, I think, because it's kind of interesting. Like, that's more realistic to life, I think. People tell you things and they're not necessarily spelling everything out. But sometimes it does. I don't like that because I'm like, no, tell me exactly when this happened. So I, <laughs> I know. want to understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And so, like, understand where um, the mom, what is her name? Sarah. 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 Okay. I wanted to say that. Then I was like, no, but it is. Um, <laughs> like, how close she still is to it because time definitely does give you better perspective and give you less uh, overreaction to things. But it's still kind of triggering for me sometimes when River talks about his dad and I'm like, well, you're 18. Like that's been 16 years. Yeah. But sometimes I'm still just like, mm, what? Are? Yeah. So I was just kind of <laughs> trying to put that into to perspective. But like, as I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh wait, no, that doesn't necessarily help. Yeah. Because you still like, it's such an intense thing I think to be involved with someone who has addiction issues because there's usually other things like psychological things going on um, in your relationship and like it just really sticks with you and it's just like your set pattern I have to be really careful when I do talk to him to not start like engaging in the same old ways I'm like no I know that that's not the right like that's not useful that's gross stop why am I okay all right, let me just text you. Let me just text you. That's way easier for me to stay out of. Yeah. Well, and I think they portrayed that so well. Like, I feel like you really got a sense of that history. And and I, what made me say fascinating when you played that scene, Caleb, was I was like, I would be probably so pissed off if I were Sarah, as much as she loves her dad, for him to take all her complicated feelings about should I let my kids hang out with him? He's in town and didn't tell me, etc. And be like, you still have feelings for this guy. I would be infuriated, <laughs> you know, because I'd be like, that is so not what this is about. And I feel like it really reduces her very complicated relationship with him 
to it just being like a crush or something, you know, like you still have feelings for him. And then he gets so angry when she calls him the love of her life. And I'm like, that seems accurate. Like she's not remarried. She hasn't had a long-term relationship since he's the only person she was ever married to. So I don't even think she was saying that in a romantic way. He's the father of her children. Yeah. I think she was just saying what he was to her and why it's, not necessarily helpful to just be like, that guy's an asshole. End of story. You know, it's more nuanced than that. Like, he is an yeah. asshole, but that's not the end of the story. I, I don't know. The first time I watched the episode, it felt to me like I was, I sort of believed Sarah at the beginning of the scene. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not about that. And then by the end of the scene, I was like, oh, maybe Zeke has a point. But when I watched it the second time, I was really trying to think like, okay, what is each character in this scene after? Like, what are they trying to accomplish? And it made me see things from their perspectives differently and more with more nuance. You know, just how in that first scene, Seth triggered such a protective instinct in Sarah towards her children. I thought, oh, that is what is happening with Zeke here. Yeah. To Zeke, you know, he calls him a son of a bitch. She calls him the love of her life. (laughs) But to Zeke, he's just the person who has hurt his child more than anyone in the world. Yeah. And so of course he would think that. Of course he wouldn't have a lot of nuance there. Even though, yeah, he did tell him to call Drew at Thanksgiving and and stuff. But I I still think, yeah, that like Papa Bear (laughs) killer instinct would kick in and you go, don't hurt my kid again. Yeah. But to her, of course she remembers a lot of good. She she must. And just like all the things you said. And and I'm sure there's traits of his in her children that she sees. And she loves her kids so much. I mean, well, we saw it in the episode where Amber was playing guitar. And she's like, that's something good you got from your dad. And I, yeah, especially in the family that she's in, she must be able to envision this alternate version of reality in which Seth just gets whatever demons he has under control and they're just together and everything's good and they're happy. That would be so painful to have that in your head and then have to deal with reality. Yeah. God. So I also kind of was thinking about Amber's position in this coming from a family that divorced when I was like 16. But so there was a lot of conflict and stuff when I was younger. And my sister was significantly enough younger than me that I feel like she missed a lot of it or I kind of had already taken over that like, oh, hey, there's conflicts. Let's go do something else now. Like let's, you don't necessarily need to be involved in this and understand. And I definitely didn't understand all of it. But then to have like those conflicting feelings about your dad where you're like, oh, it is my dad, but he also like messed up and things were hard because of him. And you don't remember all the stuff that happened or like what was necessarily going on in our lives because not even just because of one of the parents, but because of how that relationship shaped your life or your financial stability or your whatever you could, you know, whatever. So then to have the younger siblings still be like, no, like they're fine. I still want to be around them and and hang out with them. And I don't have the same vision of them as you do necessarily. And then to still like conflict again with like, this is my dad and I do love him, but I've had to put up some of those walls because of things like, it's just parents are hard (laughs) (laughs) to be them and to have them. It's just difficult. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think that's wise. I mean, really, like that's, I think the whole reason that a show like this is appealing to me is these are these relationships that you have no matter what. I mean, 
you can cut people out of your life who aren't good for you, but it's not really easy to do that when it's a parent or a kid or an ex with whom you share children. You know, you can have a clean breakup if if you don't have a kid together, but that's not the case when, when you do. And, you know, I, I think that makes for really interesting storylines and, and for a really interesting show when it's like, how do you just make it work with people who you have to make it work with? You know, and I, I don't mean to undermine all the love that they feel for each other because they do, but there's also a lot of hurt and you have to sort of get past it, I guess. Well, I really loved this exchange in their scene in the hotel. Well, look, I, just, I want you to know, okay, no surprises from now on, because you're the mom, so you decide whatever, whatever you think is right, done, I'll do it. I don't know what's right. I don't know. I just loved that admission from her that it's not like, well, one of these people has everything figured out and the other one's a mess. Right. No, she's she doesn't have any special wisdom on this just because <laughs> she's way more responsible than he is. How how could she? How would anyone? Like in a way, I think the easiest thing to do would be just slam the door and say, well, you and the kids are never seeing each other again ever, period. So I really respect that she wants to give her kids as much of a father as she can. But then that makes her job so much harder. Like that balancing act, I just don't know how you would ever do it and feel like, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. I got it. I bet. Do you think I would have liked Gordon more if they had played soulful harmonica songs in the background when they were talking to each other? Because I think I was immediately buying them (laughs) as having a history because that song was so good. And there's probably more to it than that. Anyway, who cares? I was a little distracted by the music in that scene, honestly. I mean, I love music. I think it bothered me that there there was singing going on. And you're like, shh, 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 I need to. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, who do I listen to? And no. yet it did lend uh, something to the scene. Like it felt like an appropriate song. There was something wounded in it or something. Like yeah. I felt like it really evoked all this pain that they have probably caused each other. And and I just thought, man, that it was just very good. Like it was, just, I thought it was like the perfect way to show their first scene and make me believe all that history. Something oddly specific that I thought about in that scene, <laughs> this dates back to like the pilot when we talked about how Maura Tierney was originally cast as Sarah and then Lauren Graham replaced her and how they have such different voices. Maura Tierney has such a husky, low voice and Lauren Graham is so bright and she kind of just sounds cheerful all the time, even if she's yelling. And um, in that scene in the hotel, the whole thing felt kind of gritty. And yet then there's Lauren Graham's voice just like shimmering through it all. <laughs> and on one hand, I thought like, this feels a little incongruous, this this voice in this scene. But then I kind of liked it because I thought, well, people who deal with this stuff in real life are all kinds of people. They're not, no. they're not, yeah, only, only women with gruff voices have <laughs> to deal with these gruff things in life. It's like, no, it's all kinds of people and they have to deal with what gets thrown their way. And I love how funny Lauren Graham is and probably the character became funnier when they cast her, I'm guessing, you know? Um, and I like that even though she's someone who's been through a lot of 
really intense things, probably more so than anyone else in that whole Braverman family. Like, I bet they can't relate to things she has gone through. She hasn't lost her humor, her like twinkle, if you will. You know, she hasn't, it does still shine through, which I think is almost like a strength that kind of shines through. And so I think that's nice. Yeah. It's just some resilience. Yes. That's well put. I had a few little stray observations from the rest of this storyline. I think because the Hattie storyline was resolving in this episode, I was struck by something we pointed out earlier, which is that Sarah has a child who wants to spend time with someone that she has concerns about. And Sarah jumps immediately to, well, not immediately, but very quickly to let me set some boundaries (laughs) so that you can get what you want and I can feel comfortable with it. And I thought, this this wasn't so hard, was it? She goes to Drew and says, yes, you can go, but I'm driving you. You're coming home at this exact time. And see, Not hard. And he, Drew respected it. Yeah. He, he asked for something. He goes, okay, no, you're right. That's fair. And I see, people think that Adam and Christina are like the model parents. And sometimes they, they come on here and they're like, Sarah is a terrible parent. I'm like, I think instinctively, I think she's great. Okay. What were your other yeah. stray observations? Oh, I also, I, I loved Zeke's um, wink to her in that scene. Mm. It just warmed my heart. Amber cracked me up at the concert when she's looking around at the whole audience loving the show. Like, you're crazy for liking this. Or, or like, are you guys all seeing some show I'm not? Her face the whole time. She's so skeptical. <laughs> she's hilarious. like, I don't trust this guy at all who's singing the songs. Like, yeah. yeah. And I actually kind of loved Seth backstage when they went to see him. You could tell that he was proud of his kids. And I loved that he took Amber's string of snarky comments just totally in stride because (laughs) based on everything that we know of him and of their past, it felt like, you know what? She's allowed to say that. Mm -hmm. And it's smart of you to just answer those things with love, even though I'm sure it has to hurt his feelings. But it's just like, yeah, you're the adult. She you hurt her. Just take it. If all you're getting are some snarky asides, count yourself lucky. Oh. So uh, back to Sarah and setting the boundaries. I feel like because of her relationship with Seth, she probably already has some some of those tools like ready to go. And also I feel like Amber is slightly more challenging than Hattie as a child. And so that's like already a thing where she's <laughs> like, okay, what do we have to do to compromise on what you're doing right now? Okay, let's work on this. As opposed to some, but like a child who seems like they're just doing the right thing because that's what they are supposed to do. And so maybe Adam and Christina just don't have that. I mean, I still don't think they're great, but um, (laughs) like just don't have that need there. Or they haven't like built that, that toolbox up because they're like, what? No, our kids are just good. Our kids are just good. Except, you know, then we have to deal with, you know, all the other stuff, but like with Hattie, Mm -hmm. where they're getting to these times where they're like, what? No, you're just going to do what we say because that's what you do. Yeah. You're Hattie. Yeah. You're you're a good student. You've never given us any trouble. And in a way she gets punished for it. Yeah. Well, because we saw Sarah sort of learn that lesson with Amber in season one with Damien when she said, I'm done trying to control you. It doesn't work. I think I'll just, I forget exactly what she said, but Try trusting you? Does she say that? Trust you and get along with you. I think, yeah. And it's like, yeah, Adam and Christina could have used that advice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They never asked her because <laughs> Christina hates Sarah <laughs> yeah. and Camille. She hates every she hates everyone. woman in the family. Well, and also, 
Wouldn't Sarah love it if that were her issue with Amber? That instead of Amber wanting to go date like douchey Damien, you know, that she wanted to date this like manager of a food bank who's like just had a hard childhood. I mean, she's probably like, damn it, Adam, you have this perfect kid. Even her problem is perfect. Like, what's wrong with you? I don't know. Well, anyway. she says in this episode, in a way, you've been getting away with murder having such a great kid. Yeah. Oh, P.S. That desk that she's at. In Not the, beginning the of this one episode, Joel made her. That's the desk that was always there, right? Yeah. Why'd you have Joel build you an entire desk so you could sit at it specifically and have ideas, which is what she tells Adam she's doing at the desk. I'm like, you know what? Joel wasted his time. Apparently. Anyway, I got strangely <laughs> mad about that because we saw him just lovingly build that desk for weeks. All right. Anyway. Oh, did we ever? <laughs> I enjoyed I enjoyed Joel building the desk. <laughs> the little montages wiping the sweat. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I thought about the whole Seth Sarah thing was just Sarah cuddling Zeke at the end. Aww. Oh, it made my heart ache in such a beautiful way. Did it make you look up all the John Wayne facts to be like, oh, I didn't know that he was called the Duke and that his first name was Marion. I knew those things. And I've ah. actually been to Winterset, Iowa, where the birthplace of John Wayne is. I didn't go to his house there, but I was in Des Moines working on the bridges in Madison County, which is set in Winterset, which ah. is just outside of Des Moines. And so we went to Winterset while we were there to see the bridges and see the town where you know the show we were doing was set and that's one of their they have two big claims to fame that the bridges of madison county is set there and like it, the movie was filmed there and john wayne was born there although i think he never wanted to accept that he was always like disowning his hometown and they would invite him back for things <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't go <laughs> that's funny How are you gonna be a cowboy from iowa like that's <laughs> <laughs> Ree, were you going to say something before we moved on to the next storyline? Oh, I just, re I remember now, like, just feeling so bad for Joel. Mm. Like, maybe not the whole time, I don't remember later on, but he seems like the guy that's always trying to pitch in yeah. and help and just get along and just like, hey, yeah, what do we need to do, guys? Let's do it. Cool, whatever. <laughs> like, I can deal with your crazy family stuff. Like, overall, I feel like he was just like... Julia, what do you need to do for your life? Let me help you out with that. I don't have a lot going on. Like, yeah. <laughs> and he just kind of was like, not appreciated enough. I agree. I, I totally agree. I, I think that might be part of what bothered me to notice she wasn't sitting at the desk. I, and I know that's not, <laughs> that's not like Sarah's fault. That's the writer's fault, you know, really like, or, or the set designer's fault. Like, maybe. Is, yeah, like, I don't know. Where'd we put that prop, everyone? <laughs> Where is we it? Lost, we lost the desk. For Lauren Graham's just like, I hate that desk. I'm, yeah, not I'm not it again. Forget it. I'm making Didn't have an statement. idea at that desk. <laughs> but Also, but yeah. that desk was always there. Like, didn't she make her collage of the family yeah. at that desk? So why ask Joel so to make her one? why did she ever ask for one? If I had a desk, I'd have ideas. Well, that, <laughs> I don't want that desk. That's not good enough. Maybe she was trying to make Joel feel important <laughs> and useful. Throw Joel a bone. You don't have a hobby. Build me a desk. Yeah. Um, it's funny. We have to talk about Joel and Julia sort of tangentially, I suppose, because they don't have a storyline in this episode. Like, it's one of the rare episodes where there were just three storylines. There are usually, like, four. And I thought yeah. that was interesting. Were they even in this episode? Yes. Yes, they were watching Jabbar when the Crosby oh, right, right. goes to marital counseling. Yeah. 
Well, that's a great segue. <laughs> so the last storyline in this episode is Jasmine and Crosby Whew. falling apart, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but Jesus. They are sent to marriage counseling. So tell me, in your marriage, who will manage your finances? I will. Well, we, who takes the lead when it comes to decisions about your child's education? I do. How do you prioritize things? Well, we generally talk about... I make a list. You know, and then she'll make a list. Mm -hmm. Are you savers or spenders? Savers. Do you handle conflict well? Yes, we do. Well, you know, we do fight. We're a normal couple. We argue. Yeah, but they're not real arguments. I mean, we always figure it out. They feel like real arguments, but they're not real arguments. Have you both considered what religious instruction you'll give your child? Well, I think we're going to probably encourage him to decide, you know, what spiritual path he'd like to take. Make sure he knows about all the options. And... Yeah, but he's a child, so in the meantime, he'll go to church here, go to Sunday school, and yeah. What is the most important thing to you in your marriage? Honesty. Communication. I think it's important to be heard. The thing that bothered me the most about this whole scene is that that pastor does not see that Crosby is obviously unhappy with this situation unfolding and he's not in any way facilitating a conversation or Crosby being heard like he can hear Crosby has different answers or he doesn't like, he, like he's just like no nah, I don't care what that dude says and the whole point is that you see that you have two sides here or two different ideas and then you figure out okay like maybe not right then but then you're like okay so you guys need to go home and look at how are you going to handle this thing or like there's more to it than just let the person that has the right answers that wants to make the good impression, which I feel is like what Jasmine was doing there was just like, no, I have the right answer. This is what we're going to do. I want you to think highly of me because you're my mom's pastor. But he was just like focused on her. I can't believe I missed that because I was thinking the same so thing. Oh, right. I thought like Joel and Julia were kind of poo-pooing premarital counseling. And I thought, Regardless of what your religious affiliation is, I actually think that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Sit down with someone before you get married and just discuss what you're about to do. And I like if it weren't so nanny statish, I would almost say like it should be mandatory if you're going to get <laughs> married to to do that. But yeah, it's so because I th and I think you go to discover issues exactly like this. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, does one of you feel like your ideas aren't valued, and does the other one acknowledge that? And how are you going to work on that? And yeah, that was the minister's job. And he just didn't do it at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously they had issues that needed worked out. And that's not the minister's fault. But like that was the whole point. Of being, like yeah. he, he really could have nipped this in the bud, which would have been less interesting, I guess, overall <laughs> for the story. But um, like he really could have stopped it and been like, OK, let's figure this out. I think you're so right. Yeah, I'm the same way, Caleb. I'm like, the whole episode, I kept trying to decide who I thought was more right, Jasmine or Crosby. But I think I was looking at it wrong because I actually don't think either of them is wrong necessarily. I think that they're just not communicating with each other. And that, yeah, and the real, you're right. That totally could have gotten nipped in the bud. I'm just kind of, like, that, that's a revelation <laughs> yeah. to me. Because now it seems so obvious. Yeah. I'm so what glad we you we said were, that. What did we think they were there a for? A family pastor, um, he did our ceremony, and 
he's like, but because I am actually like working for a church right now, even though we're not doing the wedding in a church, I still am supposed to have you come in and do this. Um, and we had been dating for 10 years. So we're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And so that was really easy for us to sit down and do the worksheets. And we still kind of found a couple things in there, not that we're conflict, but it was like, what are some like emergencies you could see happening or what, like just some different things that I hadn't, I mean, I guess I kind of just had an idea in my head, but we hadn't ever said them out loud. And so that was, it was interesting to go to that, even though I was like, yeah, okay, we've got two kids together and we've <laughs> lived in the same home for like eight years. Do we really need to do this? But it didn't hurt. I mean, it didn't like cause conflict. And so maybe that was kind of what like disappointed me with that minister where I was like, and how are you just supposed to like put somebody on the spot and be like, draw a picture of what you want when this guy, like he hasn't even known about his son for that long. Right. Yeah. Right. Like a year. I mean, that's another thing you just saying that you'd been with Jeff 10 years when you got married and, you know, Mark and I were together nine. I keep thinking, well, this is moving pretty fast, you know, and, and they do have some things to figure out that they really don't know about each other. And that's regular. Yeah. That's fine. You should. Yeah. And do it yeah. before you're so attached that uncoupling will take a lot of extra effort. But speaking of nipping things in the bud, I thought of that in the scene with Renee. I, I put the wedding misunderstandings feel contrived to me in a way that's starting to feel like a trend on parenthood. Oh, no. Uh, like Crosby has a legitimate gripe. I think he's entitled to weigh in on what day his wedding will be. Yeah. And how many people are going to be there. And I also think it's reasonable for Jasmine and Renee to take the lead on planning it if they're so inclined. I can't imagine that Crosby... <laughs> actually wants to deal with all the minutia of planning the event. Right. But I don't understand why at the first sign of miscommunication, why wouldn't you take a calm moment to figure out some sort of game plan together? Like it feels to me like the reason is because skipping that will lead to conflict and that will fill airtime. <laughs> yeah. But like again, like maybe that's actually realistic because people don't always communicate perfectly in real life. You might think, I'll oh, just go along to get along, hush with my concerns. Or Crosby probably feels like I am voicing them and they just get shot down. But like, don't voice them like anything else I should know about my wedding. Right, <laughs> like, right. That's not the way you do it. <laughs> You know, I'm, I was really remembering that the last time I watched this series, I thought Crosby was right more than I thought Jasmine was. I thought she was not hearing him, you know, like at the counseling session and like just really not paying attention to these signs, I guess, of how he was feeling. This time was different for me. I was like, you're usually pretty good at communicating, Crosby. Like you're usually able to say what's bothering you, what's wrong. That's something that we've praised in previous episodes. And so I guess I was like, okay, I get that she's kind of taking control, but you're doing nothing to stop her. Like you're just pouting. Like you're never just saying, hey, I actually, yeah, ex those little snarky comments don't really count because that's not honest communication. You know, what if right. he just said, Renee, I appreciate what you're doing to help out with the wedding, but this is our wedding, and I feel like I'm getting a little lost here. Would it be all right if we just hit pause for a moment and, and Jasmine and I had some conversations and just kind of, I, I got caught up with what's going on. So I feel a little left out, and I don't want to feel that way. And maybe that's hard to say in the moment, but I think that would have done a lot of damage control because, I mean, even though Renee can be kind of controlling too, I think, I think she might have heard 
that. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. But you know, I also thought they were kind of right. Like when he was like, I thought we were going to have 40 people and it was going to be in my parents' backyard. I kind of thought when Renee said, well, 40 people's just your family. I, <laughs> I thought, yeah, Crosby isn't always great at compromise either. He's saying she's not, but it's like he wants it on his turf with 40 people, which is exactly his family, <laughs> you know, he's not really taking them into consideration. And I thought, you know, honestly, 150 people when your family is as huge as the Braverman's is not that many people. Like I, maybe that sounds terrible of me to say. Um, but I'm like, if you're planning on having a wedding where you invite family, it's going to get big. Yeah. All he really does is gripe to his brother about it. That's my point is I'm sitting there listening to her answer these questions and I'm starting to realize that this woman I'm engaged to is never going to let me make a single decision. And when it comes to our son, I'm wrong every single time. How could that be, Adam? How could I be wrong every single time? I'm batting a thousand. I'm not having pre-wedding jitters and it's not just about Javar, it's about everything. For the rest of my life, I might as well have a mute button installed, okay? I'm turning into that guy. Do you want chicken or steak? Uh, I don't know. Let me check with my wife and see what I'm allowed to eat this week. All right? I don't want your stock answer in support of the institution of marriage. I want you to tell me what you think of Jasmine. Stop freaking out. I think that Jasmine is a strong woman who has strong opinions, and I think that you can be a bit of a waffler. Look, I'm not you, but I'm doing just fine. Okay? Yeah, you're doing just yeah, great. I make you? the payment on my boat, on uh-huh. my car, on my motorcycle. Uh-huh. I pay my taxes. Uh-huh. Do you do your taxes? Oh, I don't think so. I do your taxes. Yeah. I've been doing your taxes. Okay, you do everyone years. in the you're family's the most... taxes because you're a control freak. You love it. control thing. Yes, and it. I pay you. You don't pay me. You give yes. me mixed CDs. That's hardly legal tender. All right, listen to me. You're making a commitment to Jasmine, all right? You both are bringing different things to the table. You're a lucky guy, right? She's on top of things. You're not so much. You have other skills that you bring to the table. You're fun, you're spontaneous, you know how to diffuse a situation with humor, and that's no small thing. I mean, maybe she can toughen you up and you can soften her up. You're gonna change each other, it's marriage. You know, you gotta give a little to get a little, right? Yeah, but I feel like I'm giving everything. I felt like Adam's advice was excellent. Like, the the thing about she's a strong woman with strong opinions and and, softening and toughening each other up. I thought that was really insightful. And, you know, honestly, it's part of what he loves about her, I think, is that she's a strong woman with strong opinions. But I think this scene is illuminating something that's been in the background, but it's been there this whole time, that he sort of proposed spontaneously without thinking it through, and he has had reservations the whole time. And so I feel like this is really more about that than it is about these other concerns. I feel like if he didn't have all of that baggage, he probably could just have a conversation with her about like, you know, I noticed at the counseling session, you were answering everything really quickly and I didn't really have a chance to speak. And then she probably just would have been like, oh man, I was so nervous. I wanted to make a good impression. I'm sorry. (laughs) And that would have been like a normal conversation. But I think since he's carrying around all of this uncertainty about whether he's ready for this anyway, I think he's bottling it instead of talking about it and it's festering. It's getting to be bigger than maybe it should be. That's a good point. I hadn't really considered that as much because I found the clash of their personalities really compelling. But I do think you're probably right. Although I don't don't know if I would say it was mostly that. I think because I think there are legitimate other things. And one thing I did kind of like about what Crosby was saying is... In one sense, I'm not sure he gets enough credit 
for the ways in which he was self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. It's not like his life was a shambles. Yeah. It was just different from everyone else's. And I think he's in a family where a lot of people don't respect or accept that. It changes, obviously, once a child is involved. So I don't know what I think about that, but the, the whole thing just felt like such a red flag to me. <laughs> uh, especially when he says, what do you think of Jasmine? I thought, oh, that is, you know, you are not trying to soften that at all. Yeah. <laughs> you you are asking for... An out? I was going to say dirt, but not dirt. Like, you're asking for criticism of Jasmine from someone else to see if, presumably, if it rings true with you. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, that's, that's not good. And I, But I liked Adam's response, too. And it could definitely be a strength, especially if Crosby was a little more humble about himself, <laughs> about the whole thing, just, just drop his pride. But I also thought that Adam was a little dismissive. I kind of thought, I thought like, this is not a, oh, just brush it off. Right. Concern. He's been doing that the whole time. Crosby keeps trying to ask him advice and Adam keeps focusing on, you're lucky to have her. Which is not the same as should you marry her, you know, like just because she's beautiful and and smart and has all these wonderful items on a checklist doesn't necessarily mean that they should marry each other. And I feel like Adam keeps answering a different question than the one Crosby is asking. That's that's true. Or even get married right now. You've said so many times, just wait, (laughs) keep doing what you're doing now. Be together, co-parent, live together. Sure. Even that is like, wow, that's quick. But if it's working, fine. But don't, you know, don't rush into anything. But, this and I, but I was struck. And yet I still didn't, still didn't connect the dots the way you did, Reed. But I, I did write down in my notes. I'm like, mostly I'm struck by the fact that the counseling seems to have done its job. It revealed a significant issue <laughs> that they need to address. But then I put, but Crosby's addressing it with the wrong person. Don't talk to Adam about it. Talk to Jasmine about it. And, and don't calm yourself down yeah. before you do. Yeah. Figure out how to discuss it with her without it just being one long criticism of her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, in somewhat defense of Jasmine, I, having been a single mom, she was just used to taking the reins and making the choices. And that's what you have to do. And so you can be kind of dismissive of other people's input when you're like, what do you know? You haven't done this. Um, which isn't fair. It isn't fair. People can be fully capable of a lot of things in life, but you're just like, no, I'm the one that does all the things. And it's, it's not very useful sometimes when you're trying to deal with another adult, their dishwasher fight really cracks me up because Jeff (laughs) does the dishes, um, which is great. But then sometimes when he has to work a lot, I do the dishes and he does not like the way I load the dishwasher and I will hear him (laughs) in there reloading it. And I'm like, why did we have an argument about me never doing the dishes if you're going to redo them? Like, I don't understand where that comes from. How's that helpful to me? Or wait till I'm not in the next room to do it so I don't know that you're doing it. Uh, so that, like, I understand that that's not really what the focus of their conflict is. But I'm like, you know what? Some people are real assholes about the dishwasher. So <laughs> it. I can set you off. Like, I love that you called it dishwasher fight because I, I label each clip that I play <laughs> and that clip I called dishwasher fight. What's crazy about this though is I didn't even remember this fight 
and I certainly didn't remember that it was in this episode until that first shot of the dishwasher and they hadn't even said anything yet. And I was like, oh my God, this is that enormous fight that they had. I did the exact same thing. I did. Yeah, absolutely. I can't marry someone who will not let me make any decisions. Okay, I'm starting to realize that you are very controlling. I mean, how we load the dishwasher or how we unload groceries or the toilet paper's got to be up instead of under because you like up or the fact that there's no whole milk in the fridge, which is what I like. The wedding... I'm getting completely lost here. My ideas don't even exist. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for telling me all that. You're welcome. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to say. Look, I did not mean it to come out like that, but... You want this back? No, I don't want the ring back. Then what the hell does I can't marry a woman who won't let me make decisions? Me, what's my takeaway from that? I was upset, all right? I'm trying to be honest you with you. I can't you hold it any longer. You don't to load the dishwasher? It's not about the dishwasher. What is it? It's that you don't let me make any decisions. I don't let you or you just don't do it? You don't let me. You know what? If I didn't take the lead on things, nothing would get done. Oh, ever. really? So you can call it whatever you want. Uh, call it being controlling, whatever. It's called being responsible. Yeah. Something you never knew. Because you found me in a ditch. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't show up to work or brush my teeth. Are you crazy? You couldn't compromise to save your I life. I compromise every day. Really? When? You don't compromise? When were you going to tell me about having three more kids? That was a workbook exercise. And you know, I'm sorry that my vision for our family is so terrible. I'm just going to drop those three kids on my lap like you did Jabbar. Wow. I did not, I don't mean that yeah, I Yeah, you know what? I'm hearing a lot of things you don't mean tonight. Like, you can't marry me. I don't compromise. I guess I should relax and enjoy your amazing stick figure plan for our family, huh? Should I do that? You are so ungrateful, it's ridiculous. Ungrateful? Yeah, don't act How like... How dare you? Don't act don't like you I have Don't you call me ungrateful? Yeah, yeah, you gave your, sing, your amazing single life for us. You want to have it all. You want me to plan everything, and then you want to blame me for it. I can't talk to you. Then don't. Yeah, I'm not going to. Who? I loved this fight, actually. <laughs> I mean, not for them. But for us, the viewers, <laughs> and it felt to me like a real marriage fight, which is weird because I don't know what a marriage fight feels like. But Melissa, I thought of you in a previous episode where you said the things you and Mark fight about tend to be the same things over and over. Yeah. And I think that's what got me about this is that this was not a fight about something that had happened or that either one of them did. It was a fight about who they are. Yes. And I thought, this is not going to change <laughs> entirely. I mean, I think they can modify their behavior and take that into account. But I thought, this is just a clash of the types of people you are. And it's probably always going to cause a little bit of friction. I don't think it's unmanageable. I mean, I think they handled it really poorly. Yes. In this instance. <laughs> I don't think it spells certain doom for their marriage. But I thought, yeah, this is... These are the kind of things that would crop up over and over again. Because I agreed with you earlier. I, I didn't think either one of them was right or wrong. Mm -hmm. They both had valid points and they both had valid counter arguments. And I don't think I'm really either like leaning towards anyone's side. And I think they even both handled it equally poorly. Like Crosby lashed out at the beginning for sure. And then he tried to walk it back. And then Jasmine lashed right out too. So Well, they both had those like super terrible like replies and apologies in there. Like, oh, I'm sorry. that, And you're like, mm, no, that's... Yeah. No, that does not help. 
When I think of how often Caleb notices when people argue on the show if they use I feel statements or not, <laughs> and I was like, oh man, he for sure does it. He's like, you know what I've been noticing? You're super controlling. You, know? like, <laughs> you couldn't compromise. You are so ungrateful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was really not doing well on that. And I guess I did think he was slightly worse in that fight because not to sound like a six-year-old and use a six-year-old's defense, but he started it. You know, I, I think if someone came at me with all that, like, like I can't marry you, you know, like that, that yeah. intense, it would be very hard. Although I have a totally different personality from Jasmine. So I do think that when she said, thank you for telling me all that, that is what I would have said. And then I would have just continued to be deferential like that, which I actually don't think is very healthy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I agree that it was a fascinating scene to watch and it was so well acted, but I just felt so bad for them because I thought this got way blown out of proportion. It is a fight about who you are, but mostly you love who the other person is. You've yeah. just let this blow up and, and, any rational conversation before this boiling point would have probably been productive instead of destructive, which is what it ended up being. Well, and I think that's also like the difference of getting married very quickly mm -hmm. without knowing someone versus spending a long time with them and, and kind of even casually having conversations about how many kids would you still like to have? Or even if that doesn't work out for your relationship because of whatever, like just having those conversations, getting to know people, like what are your goals and just spending time and getting to know them. And then when you rush into this permanent relationship and trying to be a parent, like I, uh, when I see kids these days doing that, I'm like, what are you doing? Just go live together for a while. Like, just stop. Just, it's fine. It's not, it's not bad. It's actually better for you to like cohabitate for a little while to learn, like just like, what you like and don't like and how you get around. Like, I hate that you leave your shoes in the middle of the floor and like little things that then don't necessarily add to the bigger things that you have to work through as adults and partners. Yeah. I think time would be so smart because like when he says, I'm starting to realize you are very controlling. I want to kind of feel like you're just starting to realize that like controlling is a derogatory way of framing it. But yes, Jasmine is very assertive and she's very responsible and capable. Yeah. We've known that. And I feel like he's known that, but if it's a problem for him, just, be with her a little longer and see how big of a problem. And is it something that when you discuss it, she can be better about it or you can handle it better? Or Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I, I think that, you know, another thing, and I can't speak for all couples, but I know with, with Mark and me, I think some of our worst fights were pretty early in the relationship because it was us figuring each other out. And I think in a lot of good relationships, you don't solve anything. I mean, I, you know, and, and I am who I am. He is who he is. Like, I, I don't necessarily believe people when they say I'll change, you know, but I do think you can change little things, you know, like, or, or you just grow. Like I'm different now at 39 than I was at 22 when we started dating, you know? And, and so like, I was very insecure when we started dating and that was a, an issue for us. I'm much less so now. And that wasn't because I changed for him, but because I grew, you know, and, and, 
So I think some of this is what happens, yeah, when you do it pretty quickly and when you approach it. I mean, Crosby's the one who said that communication was so important, but then he does it so poorly, (laughs) you know, and and I just... Maybe that's why it's important, because it's a need. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He also did say in the fight, I'm trying to be honest, and that's what she said was most important. (laughs) That's true. I didn't even (laughs) pick up on that. Oh, no. But yeah, I mean... I think you can survive a fight that big because, you know, Mark and I have survived fights that big, but I always hoped, you know, like if we would have a big fight like that, that it would be rare. And luckily for us, those are really rare, but you know, part of being together is learning how to fight better, you know, and fight fair. And maybe some fights turn those into just like disagreements or, or conversations. (laughs) You know, I think that's the best. And, and, you know, I, I think that, what do you think about when J- Jasmine in the counseling session dismissed the fights they'd had? Because I'm, we've watched the show. Some of those were pretty intense, you know, like, like when they were trying to decide where Jabbar would stay when she went, um, on tour to Europe. To Europe. Yeah. That was a fight that was a little bit like this one, as far as them yelling at each other and such. And for her to kind of say that those weren't real fights, we worked it out. I think that was just for the benefit of the pastor, like just being like, no, we're fine. You have no reason to question this. You don't need to go tell my mom we have problems. Uh, We don't like, I think as quickly as she said it and as much as she kept trying to like shut him down from saying anything more, I think it was, was absolutely just like, no, we're fine. We're fine. Which is so not the point of counseling. (laughs) Wow. I agree, though. And I I think that's where I forget which one of you pointed out, maybe both. That's where it really would have behooved Crosby to ask Jasmine, hey, how much of that was you just wanting to get through the formality of talking to the pastor? And how much of it is what you actually think? Yeah. Because if, if she admitted, oh, no, I know that we have real fights. I don't know. You might, he might've sidestepped a lot of what he's concerned about. And I, but I think it still would have brought up the real stuff there, but maybe in a more constructive way. Uh, You know, one of the only funny things that happened really in that very heavy storyline was when he did draw the stick figure family, but he just made that comment where he was like, I should have made Jabbar a lot taller. I get like, (laughs) and yeah, that's funny, but I think it also is very telling because he is thinking of Jabbar now. It is hard for him to think of Jabbar in 10 years. I think he just, I don't think that's even necessarily a bad sign about how he feels about Jasmine and Jabbar and whatever potential children they might have down the line. But, you know, some people are more in the moment people and some people are more planners. I think that was really revealing that she is a planner. Like she said that she's a saver and that was apparently really important to her. And he was like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in 10 days, which I don't think is a slight to her. I think that 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 was just a function of them being very different. And even though it was funny that he made Jabbar short, I also also thought there was a reason he wasn't picturing him in the future. He was picturing him right now and how tall he is now. And she took that really personally in a way that I don't think it was. What did you think about him spending the night on the boat? Because when it was revealed that he had slept there, I suddenly felt like, oh, this fight was even more serious than I thought. You didn't go home. Yeah. Crap. (laughs) (laughs) I was just confused by like how many boxes of Chinese food he had there, (laughs) like in a boat that's empty. I'm like, okay, I get that there were a lot of beer bottles, but why are there like 
three or two sets. Like, why is there so much Chinese food for one person? And why did you eat like on the floor and then on the steps and then in the bed? Like, what do you? Do? No, like I get it. I get being mad. It was a progressive dinner. And using like an unhealthy coping mechanism of like, oh, I'm going to go like, I'm going to sit on my boat and have some beers and what, but like, for real, you are an adult and this does make you look like a dumbass for like eating Chinese food all over your. It's something he could have control over. I can order one of everything on the menu. (laughs) I was just confused about the boat itself because I thought he had sold it, but I guess we never, um, saw anyone buy it. And it did take, you know, me like seven months uh, when Mark and I moved to sell our house. So maybe it just hasn't sold yet. Or maybe he pulled it from the market uh, or something. But I, it was like, they had a whole episode about the boat and how he was going to sell it. And then I thought, I guess that's not the point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, that is concerning. Not just that he spent, I do think sometimes it can be helpful to have space. Like we were saying earlier with Hattie and stuff. I would feel so much better if he said to her, I need a little time. I'm going to go stay on the boat. I still have the boat. I'm going to go be there. But I'm picturing her not knowing where he is for an entire night. That's awful to do to someone. Like if she's wondering if he's like in a ditch somewhere or, you know, like he should. And awful to do to Jabbar. Yes. Yeah. What's she supposed to say if Jabbar says, where's dad? Yeah. That's so not fair. I mean, it's. I think fair to take a night and go stay elsewhere, but you have got to tell the other person because that's just awful. Yeah. Although now I'm realizing that, and I can't believe I didn't before it's supposed to be symbolic too, isn't it? That at the first sign of real trouble with her, he just literally retreats to his old life. That's true. He does. Well, I, <laughs> I liked this episode a lot, but I'm feeling a bit nervous. <laughs> you know, the Hattie Alex resolution felt pretty good yeah yeah and uh the seth situation i'm i'm optimistic about but very cautiously yeah optimistic but the crosby jasmine situation i don't feel good about no that felt wretched i forgot how awful that felt i i hated that i mean you're right it was like good tv it was very well done but i also just it was so real like that yeah. was that was a very realistic fight. And I am surprised it didn't feel to me like it came out of nowhere. It no. felt like it had been well prepared. Yeah, but if I feel better about their situation than I do about the Seth situation because yeah. I feel like you're like, Mm-mm, no, this is going well. When does, uh. when does other shoe drop? Like when, when do you fuck up here, buddy? Like that kind of thing. And then you've earned this trust back from your kids and from Sarah and maybe even her family. And then you just proved her right again or whatever, you know, from what her reservations were. That sort of thing makes me very nervous. And again, I did watch the series originally, but I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a long time ago, but that seems like a realistic thing. Like, no, this is setting it up to be very painful for at least a couple people. And I feel like Crosby and Jasmine, like when you have a big fight, well, then you can either go back and revisit it and start working through some things or then you're done. Like those are kind of the two. So I have maybe hope for them. I think her mom being involved though is a problem. Like helping plan the wedding and, and stuff like. And then also being dismissive of him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Cause it, I mean, I think it can be okay. Of course. To, I think a lot of people do that. Like, Oh, plan it with, with relatives, with friends, but yeah, the way she acts like she's more in charge of making decisions than he is. Or even her. Yeah. Or even Jasmine. Yeah. 
Yeah, because, you know, this is a small moment, but I was really, really thinking Renee had a good point when she said, well, there are 40 people in your family, you know, then we have to add our family. And I thought, yes. But then she said, and people I know from church. And I thought, no, like (laughs) I thought that and that actually not your wedding. Right. And that actually reminded me a little bit of um, Mark and me When, when we got married, our moms gave us these long lists of people. And it ended up being fine. We just had a way bigger wedding than I had ever envisioned. We had like 300 people there or something, and I didn't know some of them. And maybe that's just fine, you know, and, and, but, but both of our moms had a pretty long list and, and you could argue as they did. And we ultimately were like, okay, that it's their kids and they want to invite people that they know too. But it was a totally different vibe than what I had um, imagined. I had imagined maybe a hundred people and I was quickly like, oh, <laughs> this has gotten big. Which So I think that's something that happens a lot. But I don't know, Mark and I got to decide together. All right, let's take our mom's list. <laughs> let's, let's just order some cheap food. <laughs> and, well, you know... Yeah. Like even the way she said it though was like people I know from church. And like we got a list from Jeff's mom, but these were people that had been a part of Jeff's life. Like he always lived in Pittsburgh, always went to the same schools, like his mom and grandma, these were friends of his mom's or teachers or people from church, but they had also had been a part of his life, maybe not a very relevant one part at the time that we were getting married. Right. But like they had been there along his journey more than just oh I don't have any clue who these people are. And so for Renee to be like, well, I have people from church. Like it wasn't even Jasmine's church also. Right. So that is a little more like gross. And, you know, our moms did give us a list and say, is it okay to invite them? You know, and and we got to have discuss it with each other and say, yes, it is. You know, we'll make it work. The more, the merrier. It wasn't, of course, these people are going to come. Right. I think that, yeah, it was the presumption that really got me. And Jasmine had this look on her face that she often, I think, has when her her mom is in scenes with her, where it's just like, well, this is just how it is. You know, like, I I think it's never occurred to her to stand up to her mom before, which is a whole other interesting thing because honestly, a big part of Mark and I realizing how we were going to work as a couple was we had to sort of cut ties as the wrong term because we love our moms and we are still close with our moms and have them in our lives. But I would say that our relationships with our moms are much healthier now than they were when we first started dating. And in many ways, we were still kind of kids we were 22 and 24, but like we were kind of treated like kids and we kind of deferred to our, our parents as being in charge of us. And we really had to learn, no, we're adults making a life together. We consult each other first and then we consult our parents, much as we love them. And so I know that wasn't even the point of this episode, but I think that's something maybe Jasmine has to realize before she can be a wife to someone. And that might sound silly because she's a mother already. She's got a kid. But the way she, you know, I don't even know that she agrees with her mom. She just accepts that her mom gets to have this say. And that's interesting. And I wonder if maybe Crosby does that with his parents, but they're just, they're more, (laughs) they're hands off a little bit more, I guess, than Renee is. I wonder if Jasmine feels some obligation still, like if her mom helped her a lot with Jabbar before like Crosby came back into the picture about it. So if she felt like, oh my gosh, my mom had to help me so much because she has this career and, and just even as a, as a single parent, you need help sometimes. And so I wonder if, 
if like they already kind of had a controlling relationship and then she had this dependency in there and then there wasn't ever really a time to set those boundaries or to grow into, you know, to naturally evolve into them. Yeah. God, that's a good point. And there was one more thing I was thinking of that seemed like a red flag to me. It was when Crosby throws it back into Jasmine's face during their big fight about not knowing that Jabbar existed, which we've talked about that a lot on the show and how that's, um, you know, that was, that's a real problem, but it's something that you can't just bring up every time you're having a fight. You know, I mean, that's something they've worked through. They've each explained why that hurt. And, and she explained that she tried to call Crosby a bunch of times and he didn't answer. And so she's like, you know what, you're too flaky anyway. I don't even want you in my kid's life. And, and so they, they moved on, but I'm like, you can't, you can't do that. Like, you can't just throw this at her. This fight had nothing to do with that. And he brought in that old baggage, which is like one of the worst, dirtiest moves in a fight. So I thought that's... And it's really dumb to say, I'm going to dump three more kids. Like, if you're already married, then obviously you should <laughs> right. You should know about them. So that's yeah. not how that works. Yeah, yeah. She's going to hide her pregnancies. <laughs> it also points out that what makes good television is so different from what makes a good relationship because like when you just said oh well they worked through that i was thinking if he's still bringing it up then Mm. i don't think they have worked through it i guess that's obviously it still bothers him and yet i had actually already forgotten the big fight they had around jabbar's birthday where they did hash that out and i thought yeah if in real life if all you did was have one fight about it you didn't work it out yeah that's true. I think what you would do, though, is you would have the fight, you would resolve the fight, and then you would talk a lot about, Jasmine, what were you feeling at the time? And why did that lead you to do what you did? And how did you feel about what you were doing? And Crosby, how do you feel not having known him? And how does that hurt you? And what do you wish Jasmine knew about how it affected you? And, like You would then discuss those things, I would hope, in depth. If they never did that, then I don't think they worked through it. Wow. How did Jabbar not really come up in counseling? Yeah. Like just for like one second, the religion and whatever. But like, how was that not like, I understand they only have so much time to go, but like. They should have talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you're right. Especially if that is lingering somewhere inside of him. In which case, I'm like, how could you even entertain the idea of marrying her if you feel this betrayed by that? Still, you know, like if you truly haven't worked through that, I don't know how you would even propose to her. Why would you even be dating her? Wouldn't you think this isn't a very good person for hiding this from me? I mean, maybe I'm going to a really extreme place, but I just feel like if you're carrying that around inside, it's interesting to me that you're on the verge of marrying her in the first place. I don't, I don't know. Like that's, but I guess people are complicated. Well, and and that points up the fact that I, I think it's something while it was her infraction, I think it's work he has to do. Yeah, I agree. Because there's nothing she can do about it anymore. Like It's what happened. That's what's so hard about it. All she can really do is apologize, which she has done. Mm-hmm. Now he needs to, and I, I, I don't judge him for being hurt by that, but he needs to actually forgive her if that's, if that's a lingering issue, which yeah. I, I think it seems like it is. I wouldn't have said it was until that dishwasher fight. And then I'm like, well, if, if that's in your back pocket, well, and I, I guess, or maybe it was just a weapon like, Hey, I can, I can hurt her with this. Yeah, you're right. That's what I thought. I thought it was a weapon. Cause I thought he was over that, but he, it's like, he gets the ACE every time. Like he can just throw that down anytime. It's the Trump card. He's just, 
that's where he's always going to come out smelling like a rose because it's the biggest mistake she ever made. Yeah. It's like if someone cheats, then they get to hold that over the other person's head. Yeah. And that's so unfair. It's like the worst kind of fight. And it's like if, if you have truly put this to bed and you have forgiven each other, you cannot keep bringing it up in times of fights. That doesn't mean you can never talk about it again. I think it's healthy to process things continually, but you shouldn't bring it up like that, like a weapon, like you just said. Anyway. Wow, I thought we were done talking about it, and then we just had all this other stuff to say. That's interesting. So anyway. I felt like each of the stories in this episode had an element of stepping into discomfort or like embracing discomfort because Hattie had to do that to go back home, and Adam and Christina had to do it to let her date Alex. Jasmine and Crosby in counseling and with each other certainly had to wade into some uncomfortable things. And then really with Sarah and Seth, that's uh, entering into a lot of scary territory. It weirdly reminded me, once I was thinking about, like, is there a theme or a common thread? It reminded me of this concert I worked on with a friend of mine where she was talking about some huge changes she'd gone through in her life. And she pointed out being outside your comfort zone means being okay with being uncomfortable. And it's like, duh, yes, that's what that means. But I think it was such a cliche, like, get outside your comfort zone, that I had never really thought about, what does that mean? And I thought, oh, it would mean being uncomfortable. I hate being uncomfortable. I don't want to be outside my comfort zone ever. And I think most people don't. You saying that makes me think of um, in the Lawrence School District where I work, we do these uh, courageous conversations. That's what they're called. And there are like these um, elements to them. And one of them is expect and accept discomfort and so it's like if you're gonna have hard conversations with each other you that's like built in it's one of them and I'm like god that's intense but yeah you're right nobody likes it I don't think it's a horrible (laughs) feeling (laughs) so but important I think like I mentioned before this episode on the dvd had commentary and it was from Lauren Graham and the director of the episode Lawrence Trilling Nothing earth shattering was revealed in the commentary, (laughs) but I took a few little notes of tidbits of things that I thought you might find interesting. Like that's where I learned that it was John Corbett's real band. Ah, Lauren Graham and Larry Trilling went to college together at Columbia and he worked at the grocery store in her dorm. And she said that sometimes she would buy bagels from him. (laughs) Larry revealed that I lingered on that L a long time. Larry revealed that Joel and Julia's house was a practical set. It's almost a fully functional, real house. And it was originally built for the film Hancock. Oh. Makes me want to go watch that movie and see if I recognize their house. That's fun. I've seen it, but once I don't remember the house. Me too. Yeah. And then he also pointed out that in that first scene with Amber and Drew and Sarah, where they're all yelling about Seth, that Zeke is in that scene, but doesn't speak. And he said that initially Zeke did have lines, but Craig T. Nelson asked for them to be removed. He thought that they didn't need to be there. I just thought it was a really keen observation that his presence added something, but it didn't need to really be any more than that. Now that you mentioned that, I do remember him like sort of flinching when Sarah slams the door, when she's like, Seth is in town. And then she slams and he, and I, that really affected me because he seems so like tough. Like he's not a person who would flinch 
And, and so I thought that was really interesting to show, like, he's upset by this element. And, and yeah. I took that as his guilt or, like, I kind of caused this, didn't I, by getting a hold of Seth. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's what I would have done. I'd be like, oh, shit. But I always think everything's my fault. (laughs) So anyway. So do we have anything else? This was so fun. Thank you, guys. Oh, yeah. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank thank you. I don't – it was just – yeah, you had lots of valuable insights, and I really loved – and it really did end up being kind of the perfect one for you. We didn't even think about that. It was just totally random. And then as I was watching the episode, I'd forgotten John Corbett was in it. I thought, I wonder if Ree's going to mention, you know, some of this stuff. And I'm glad yeah, you did. Yeah, it was weird to watch it now, like years out from things. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, yeah. No, I get it. I understand some of this. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We're at Parenthood Pals everywhere. Including ParenthoodPals.com. <laughs> Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.